Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. And try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. So, this week we're going to be talking about Dark Angel. Right. So, what do we know or not know about the show Dark Angel before we watch it? I know it's James Cameron's. Good to know. I did yeah. not remember that. I remember on the DVD box, it was like, James Cameron's Dark Angel. Now, I want to say, it is possible I've actually seen an episode of this show. Um, we decided we were going to do it for the podcast anyway, because I could not remember anything about it, or even whether it was actually Dark, Dark Angel that I watched. But when did Dark Angel come out? I believe it was the early, early aughts, like 2000 slash 2001 or 99 to 2001, two seasons. In 2000, 2001-ish time, I worked at a blockbuster video post high school and my manager was really into a show, which in my memory, I'm like, I think it was Dark Angel, but like it's possible it was something else. And she, I started watching it so we have something to talk about at work. Hmm. But... I can't remember how many episodes of it I watched or even if it was Dark Angel. So maybe we will find out when I watch it. But all I remember is like action-y spy stuff. Yeah, there were there were like a whole kind of like there were a bunch of those kind of shows. Like there was another show called like Eve 2199 or something like that with like kind of like vague sci-fi premises yeah. with like. Chicks in like leather jumpsuits also, doing spy alias shit. was kind of that too, yeah, right? It was that same kind of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, alias. Alias. That she I changed her wig and no one recognized her. What? Uh, yeah. So the only other thing that I know about this show is that I remember seeing previews for it. Like, at, uh, gosh, I must have been like 13, 14, something like that. A mere child. A mere child. And. There's a shot of her like sitting on top of the space needle in like post-apocalyptic Seattle. And I, I remember like I remember it so clearly. I'm gonna be so bummed if this is not that show. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure she sits on top of the space needle in a post-apocalyptic Seattle at some point. Cool. <laughs> but also, I guess we will find out if that's the show. Yeah. I love that we're both like I don't even know what I know. <laughs> if, if if anything I know could be about a different show, I who knows what this is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Let's go check out Dark Angel. Dark Angel. This show is about a Mr. Dark Angel. Uh, <laughs> please, Mr. Dark Angel is my father. Call this- me the Dark Angel. <laughs> This is my man, Dark Angel. He handles all my affairs. He'll take care of everything. <laughs> Every show is named after the person in the show is my new favorite joke. All right, folks. We have watched Dark Angel. Dark Angel is a 2000 TV show. It ran for two seasons uh, on the Fox network. And strangely, we'll now read a one-sentence synopsis of the pilot. In the dystopian future of 2019... A young woman lives a simple life that belies her mysterious past. Raised in a government facility and bred to be a super soldier, she now struggles to survive in a harsh world and keep a low profile while hunting for the other children she escaped with ten years ago. But when her superhuman abilities catch the attention of a mysterious pirate news organization, she is drawn to use her powers for good. 
What do you think, Strangely? Did I did I I wrote that synopsis and I let Strangely read it because I thought he'd do a good job and you did you did great. I I think that it did, very that, accurately captures what happened in the pilot. Yeah. There's a lot in this one. It was an hour and a half long pilot, and there's a lot of world building, so it was definitely hard to squeeze it into one well, it ended up being two sentences, but right. not bad. Still very good. Thank you. I'm pretty pleased. All right, well, Dark Angel, let's do some uh, hot takes, strangely. I love this. This came out at exactly the time when I was just discovering science fiction, particularly near-future sci-fi was a huge deal for me when I was, like, middle school, high school. I don't know why I never picked this up when it was originally happening. I Like, we didn't have cable, so that might have been it. But, like, this is, like, totally my jam. Yeah. Like... <laughs> The, the tech in it is just so great. And I love that even now in 2018, I have like a reasonable in-universe explanation for why the tech looks like it does. But that's my fan theory. And we'll yeah. get into that later. Ooh, I can't wait. All right. My one sense hot take is I was amazed by what a good concept it was. Like not everything about the show was handled perfectly, but it wasn't quite on the level of of delightful garbage that shows we watch sometimes are like I enjoyed it and I enjoyed some of the, the, the garbage parts of it, but most of the garbage parts felt like, well, that's because this show is nearly 20 years old at this point. I felt like the concept could like, man, update the pop culture references and the literal dates on screen to nine years from now and 19 yeah. years from now. And you could more or less do the same plot. It holds up remarkably yeah. well. In almost like, upsettingly yeah <laughs> for, like, for reasons yeah but in a way that like many other sci-fis that are even 10 years old do yeah, not do just do not you're like oh that was a cute idea but also it holds up even set in its time because it's about an alternate future yeah that this show was not predicting our actual future we'll, we'll, we'll get into that talking about the actual plot but <laughs> anyway obviously we both have a lot of feelings about yeah this, so we both surprisingly yes. liked it so, that what we know section. Yeah, we need to address what we were right and wrong about. And in general, I think we were 100% right. I don't think we said anything specific that was wrong. Yeah, I kind of, after having watched the show and like seeing some of the imagery again, I think the reason I had like such a strong memory of the visual of her sitting on the Space Needle, which totally happened in this pilot. Yeah, I was you nailed it. So happy. You nailed it. But I it happened twice. I feel like this was this big bold thing that like a well known cinema filmmaker person was doing a TV show. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that really was, but it seemed like they were doing this big push, like it's gonna be cinematic and it's gonna be science fiction on TV, and like in a way that sort of has become the norm, where you have like Steven Spielberg executive producing Terra Nova yeah. or. Jonathan Nolan and his wife leading Westworld. Like I'm just nodding because I people don't know are any now, of the things you're talking about. Movie people are now crossing over to TV sure. more often, but I feel like that wasn't a thing in 2000, and yeah. that's why there was such a huge marketing push. Yeah. Because I remember like seeing this on the side of the buses and things where I, I hardly remember any other I TV don't. show from that yeah. era. I don't remember that. However, I'm pretty positive now. I've never seen an episode of this show. However, I'm equally positive this was the show my coworker was trying to get me to watch. I apparently just didn't end up ever watching it, which... This is a 18-year-old memory, so True. give me a break. Oh, well, both uh, I was 18 and it was 18 years ago. That's interesting. So <laughs> not watching the show was like a pivot point in your life, yeah. like, a, like a nexus of... Yeah, <laughs> but 
I'm absolutely positive having watched this that from what I remember about that particular blockbuster manager, she absolutely would have loved this show because it was in Seattle, which was, I just remember people used to get really excited when anything was set in Seattle. The only season of the real world I ever watched was the Seattle one because it came out while I was in high school. Literally everyone at my high school would be talking about it the next day. So if you didn't watch it, you were just... You're out of the loop. But, uh, yeah, it's there's a hot girl kicking ass, and one of the characters is a lesbian, and I am absolutely positive that that manager was a lesbian in retrospect. It's just one of those things you think back on someone you used to know, and you're like, oh, wow, they were gay. Yeah. They weren't even necessarily closeted. They just maybe didn't say it to me, and so I didn't think of it. But looking back on it now, yeah, I'm pretty sure her roommate that she hired to work at the store with us was probably not her roommate. That was my shop teacher when I was eight years old. <laughs> yeah. So gay. Now that I think about it, she was so gay. Anyway. But yeah, we were right about James Cameron. We were right about being released in 2000. We were right about the Space Needle shot. That might be a record. Yeah. So uh, let's get into that recap. All right. We open on a daring escape scene where several dozen children in matching gray smocks and buzz cuts run through a snowy wood, communicating in silence like trained soldiers, while actual trained soldiers are hunting them down. And our hero, Max, narrowly escapes. The screen tells us this is Wyoming, 2009. And a man who I tried really hard to come up with a good nickname for this guy because he had hilarious frosted tips. And it seemed like he should have a good nickname for that. But I couldn't come up with one, so his character is called Lydecker. He is instructing the soldiers to you know, capture the children if you can, but if any of them make it past the perimeter, shoot them. This is a serious business. We then cut to a grown Max standing on top of a crumbling space needle above a desolate Seattle, narrating in voiceover that she escaped alone and has no idea if any of the other kids made it out, but I hope they did, and that they're okay. <laughs> because some of Jessica Alba's line deliveries in this show are weird acting choices. Very weird. She was also very young to be carrying a lead role in this. Yeah, honestly, I feel like I'm going to make fun of some of her line delivery in this podcast, but I do want to say that overall, I think she did pretty good. She's very young. Yeah. And it was, I think, her first Definitely her first, like, major thing. That yeah, she it was her did. first, yeah. like, lead role. And it's a big role, and it's a complex role. And she doesn't necessarily rise to the challenge, but I think she does better than probably a lot of people gave her credit for. I don't know. I don't remember what people were saying about the show at the time, but her acting overall isn't like bad in the way that sometimes people are on shows and we go, oh, this person was so tedious. She just every now and then says a line and you're like, what? That's not how humans talk. Are yeah. you actually a weirdo like robot child from a genetics lab? Because that's not how so, people talk. Yeah, the, the, the weird things in it just strike me as odd choices, not as like bad choices. They're just, it's just straight, it's uncanny. There's like an uncanny valley thing to this character. I think in there are times when she gives a line in a very childlike way. And I did sometimes wonder, was that a director thing where they were like, we're trying to capture that you still have yeah. this childlike innocence of someone who didn't have a proper childhood? But it's like, it just comes off like, but I hope they did and that they're okay. <laughs> she says it like a bedtime story. It's weird. Anyway. So, Max is having this flashback to more of the facility where she was as yeah. a kid, where they're like being brainwashed and trained to fight and basically being kept prisoner in mm -hmm. this like sort of like dark institution thing. And she starts having this seizure and manages to like grab some pills from a bottle and it seems to alleviate the seizure. We get more of this later. Yeah. She then uh, has some 
quips with her roommate. They live in this like dilapidated squat that is also simultaneously like super cool. Mm-hmm. Sort of like where everybody lives in rent. It's just like. Yeah. It's the spacious sitcom apartment version of a dilapidated squat. Nailed it. Thank you. Before she leaves, she, she peeks her head across the hallway or, or into her neighbor's place and checks on her neighbor Theo, who is there with his wife and his kid. And she asks if he's coming into work. And he says that he's too sick today. And so she offers to pick up his paycheck. So it's like really sweet. Like she's got this little community yeah. of people. Nice. Uh, as uh, Max is riding through Seattle, we get this nice wide shot of like post-apocalyptic Seattle. And it says Seattle 2019, like on the screen. And the I title card. giggled with delight. Like perfect. Yeah. It was like, oh, thank you. Like, you can tell that the city has had, like, some massive shit go down. And in voiceover, Max talks about how 10 years ago there was a terrorist attack that they detonated an EMP, which just took out, like, all electronic stuff. They detonated the Experience Music Project? Local reference! (laughs) Please continue. (laughs) I'm so glad you took that tea up. Uh... And so, like, not only did it knock out, like, bunches of computers and electrical things, but it also took out tons of records, which is, like, an important thing of in the mythology. Of how society show. runs. Ton- yeah. Oh, and then the Some- media show, Somebody yes. fight clubbed all of the records. Yeah. Uh, she, in this monologue, also talks about how she was too young to remember what the world was like before this, but also, like, she was in, like, child soldier jail. So I don't know if she had a life yeah. before child soldier jail. No. But, yeah. Yeah, it is weird, like... I was too young to remember any of it. Yeah, and also you were like running for your life. Yeah, but she she doesn't seem to mind like how things are now. She has a job as a bicycle courier, like the movie Premium Rush. And uh, true, that's that does happen in that movie. And uh, uh, we see so that will be very helpful for people right. who otherwise would not know what the phrase bicycle courier meant. Thank you, strangely. It's more just like. Whenever I see bicycle couriers in anything, I think of that movie because it's like, what if bicycle couriers, but a badass action movie? Oh, they tried. But clearly, like, this job gives her a certain freedom that other people don't have in this world because, like, we see her go through a police checkpoint and she shows them her bicycle courier ID and they're like, move along, so. So then Max arrives at work and we meet some of her colorful co-workers, including the the Tyess boss, whose nickname is Normal, which... I'm a sucker for nicknames, so love that. Um, and also Max's friend Cindy, who we learned is a lesbian! <laughs> and handled surprisingly well, at least in the pilot. I like the fact that we have, we're only a few minutes really into the show, and we already have a lesbian character who's also a woman of color, not just like the cliche sassy gay best friend or something. Right. And also, when we met her coworker earlier, Theo. He's East Asian. I think I believe I looked up the actor was Japanese, and his wife is black, and their kids mixed race. It's almost like a more colorful future of, of the kind of thing you usually see in a utopian future. That right. This is a dystopian future, but still, there's I don't know. It's like I was surprised for a 2000 show that they were that good off the bat with that. Meanwhile, a news report on food riots, nice little bit of world building in one line, is interrupted on the TV by a pirate broadcast, which is called the Eyes Only Network. And I think at some point someone also refers to it as private eyes. But that might have been a character forgetting their line. All of the bike couriers gather around the TV to watch. We see what's on the screen is a close-up shot of a man's eyes with the words like free streaming broadcast or something like that going across the top. 
And he's talking about how the cable hack will last exactly 60 seconds. And he crams in a bunch of information about a man named Edgar Sonrisa, who is a rich businessman who runs drugs and guns and commits crimes with impunity and basically says, this guy is going to get taken down. It's a little bit, uh, it reminded me of uh, Razor and Blade in Hacker. This is clearly a thing that happens sometimes. They've all seen it. They're familiar with the private, the eyes only guy. They all seem to think this is legit, but Max seems to kind of write him off as he's just another part of the system. He's just, he's just to keep us scared. And when this scene began, the credits were going across the screen and I proceeded to lose my freaking mind because I recognized two names. One of which is Alini Ballard who plays David on Numbers, uh, which is a show I have seen all of and, and love. And he is on this show as a cartoonish Jamaican stereotype who's walking around going, you know, man, I do the thing and I have one of those little knits white hats and it's so over the top. Anyway, I looked up the character online. They never say that character's name. He, he doesn't do anything important in the pilot. He's just around being colorful. The character's name is Herbal Thought. Is thought spelled nope. differently? Nope. Than it, both of those words are spelled the way that they are in the dictionary. Herbal thought. And he's a cartoonish Jamaican guy. I take back everything I just said about diversity. <laughs> but there was another name in the credits that I recognized and would proceeded to lose my mind, but I'm going to save that little nugget until the character shows up. So we then see Max, who is out doing her bike messenger rounds, and she as a bike messenger gets to go into like this exclusive office building. And while fancy she's high rise. while she's up in the, the fancy high rise, she looks across at another building and has kind of this like zoom view vision. And we get like a close up of her, her pupil dilating. So like mm -hmm. she has like sort of a zoom vision. I thought it was like, I love cyberpunk and the idea of like human body enhancement, I think is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I liked how understated this was. It was like, she can see detail of things far away but it was, it, it, just, it felt like really, I don't know, I just, I, I liked how it was executed. Yeah, there wasn't um, a special effect or yeah. something to make her eyes glow or some shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and in the, the ap apartment that she's looking into, like the penthouse across the way, she sees this golden statue and she's like, yes. So she goes up to the... <laughs> For me. Yeah, mine. <laughs> uh, so she goes up to the roof of the building, props open a door to get in later. And I love, again, like, it's like, high-tech cyberpunk world, but then you're just, like, propping a door for yourself yeah. later. She, she put a piece of tape over yeah. the, the mechanism so that the door wouldn't lock. That's uh, classic. It's classic spy stuff. That night, out of the bar, Max and Cindy pull a two-man con. I love cons so much. Although, this technically was... I almost referred to it as a con in the notes, but it's technically not. Well, but they, they get people to bet on the thing... Like, Cindy well, has to know that Max can do this yeah, already. Yeah, that's, that's my point, is right. that Cindy knows Max actually can do this. It's just that it sounds impossible, and right. that's how they get people to bet money. Right. But but it's not okay. a con, because there's no lie. There's no trick. Right. That's what I'm saying. I, okay, it has a shill, but there's no lie happening. Yeah, Very exactly. true. Yeah. It's, it's con-adjacent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it reads like a con. If, she, if, if Max wasn't a secret super soldier... So... Anyway. The basic premise of what they do is Sydney bets other people in the bar that Max can recite a 14-digit phone number based on just hearing the beeps on the phone's speed dial. And then she totes does it. She totes does it because phones have beeps and speed dial. Uh, Max's ex-boyfriend shows up and 
like it's basically only serves to show us that Max is emotionally distant or like hard to get close yeah. to. The, this entire scene, all we learn is Max is emotionally distant, which we could have kind of guessed anyway. Yeah. There's no reason for this ex-boyfriend to show up. Very confusing. <laughs> show, don't tell. Yeah. Fortunately, we're saved from further ox by Max getting a page and bouncing. A page. A page. I love, I love that by the premise of, the, you know, this a terrorist attack kind of taking the world down a peg for a while, it makes sense that the technology isn't as advanced as it should be Right. 19 years after the show was made. And that's such a perfect, it's part of the plot of the show and it's a hand wave. It's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's, honestly, it's, it's great. It's like the, the Battlestar Galactica reimagining that they, they basically made the reimagining show look like the 70s show, the tech and everything, and the explanation was that the Cylons can hack advanced technology and computers, so everybody's using pocket calculators and slide oh. rolls and shit to, like, fly these spaceships through hyperspace. That's t- I've never watched that show, but yeah. that's good. But I it's like, like that's premise. like a cool universe yeah. detail. In-universe explanation mm-hmm. for an out-universe detail. Yeah, and which also then, in this, like, because our, you know, technology got sent back to the Stone Age, basically. Mm-hmm. Everything's kind of not quite futuristic tech, which I love any sci-fi that has the future look basically like today with a couple extra things. Yeah. Like, Looper yes. is a perfect example. I was literally about to open my mouth and say the word Looper, but you beat me to it because you yeah. know me. Yep. <clears throat> All right. In the next scene, we find out why Max got the page. She screeches down the street on her motorcycle, which she apparently owns in addition to her fixie. I'm pretty sure the bike she was riding earlier was a fixie. And I was like, wow, they nailed it. Very Seattle. Also, none of the couriers wear helmets. It's very She rolls up to the dingy office where this private eye that I called Dick because we never got his name. I looked it up later online. I'm like, no, that he has a first and last name on the show. It is never said in the pilot. I'll go with Dick. Yeah, well, he looks like a dick. Capital D and Private Dick. It's a, it's a nice, it's perfect nickname. Good job, me. Uh, he has been hunting down information about her past for her. Uh, she flashes back to this woman who helped her during her escape by hiding her in her car. A woman named Hannah. That's who she's trying to get him to find. This is another scene where she delivers a line in that weirdly childlike way. He's like, "Can you give me any other information about this Hannah woman?" And she flashes back to the woman's face, smiling, and goes, "She was nice." This incredibly childlike way, and it's like right. a little creepy. Anyway, moving on. He ha- also hasn't had any luck looking for the other kids, which she's had him hunting down because they're all uh, living on the down low, just like her. So he says he'll need more money to keep looking. And she goes to get that money. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. <clears throat> Max returns to the high rise and goes out on the roof and then like does this awesome thing where she like sets a piton with a rope and then like jumps off the roof and swings around the side of the building launched across to the other building. It's totally like a Batman stunt. It seems like a stunt that they actually filmed for this. Possibly. I didn't notice any. The effects in general in the show were surprisingly understated. The most groan worthy shot was just that fake uh, space needle. Yeah. Other than that, they were pretty uh, understated about it. Yeah, the the stunts and fights and everything, it it was sort of like we're talking about with Burn Notice, where it's like, they clearly know exactly their budget. This is Mm -hmm. like what we're making, and this is what we have the things for. Uh, So she lands on the opposite building and gets into the penthouse. 
excuse me, strangely, I'm really upset that you skipped the note I included in our notes, oh. which says that she flies through the air like a dark angel. Because <laughs> there's literally no other reason for the show to be called that except for that scene where she puts her arms out and swings through the air in all black leather. Please continue. I was, I was hoping you were, you were going to chime in with that. So she gets into the penthouse and she starts to steal stuff and she's like grabbing things and like yeah. looking inside stuff. Like, did did you check that anyone else was there? Yeah, no, uh, she's, she's real cash. She's not yeah. like checking the layout. She just starts picking stuff up and throwing it in a bag. Yeah, apparently someone else is there because she hears a dude's voice and then goes to like see who it is. Hmm. And it's the eyes only guy from the pirate broadcast. So she, he's like he's sitting, sitting there, there recording, recording a broadcast. Which I audibly, when I was watching it, that this like reveal, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was so excited. Yeah. And the broadcast he's recording is he's talking about there's this expensive drug that the Sonrisa company is controlling and basically they're replacing yeah. the pills with sugar pills, right. selling the actual medication out of the country on the black market or whatever. Yeah, so they're basically, like, making money off of it twice. Yeah, they, and they mention that the medication is highly sought after as a cancer treatment, and it's also the only medication, it's the only treatment for, he refers to, like, the blank war syndrome. It's right. something that, an illness that affects vets. It's yeah. a bit of a, of a what's, what's a word for a thing that exists in the plot? That it's like, don't ask too many questions. It's, it's a MacGuffin. Plot. It's a MacGuffin. Yeah. There's a sickness that affects vets, and this drug is the only drug that cures it. Clearly, like, inspired by Gulf War Syndrome, mm-hmm. the whole, like, Agent Orange thing and everything. Mm-hmm. Max's spying is interrupted by uh, Mr. Eyes Only's bodyguard coming up huge, on her. And, huge, huge yeah, meaty dude. And she just, like, takes him down. Like, yeah, <laughs> like nothing. Like, total Black Widow style. But then Mr. Eyes Only has a gun, and he points it at her. And then, like, once he realizes that she's just there to steal stuff, he's like, oh, thank God. Oh, you're oh, you're a thief. Thank God. She goes, first time I ever heard that one. Yeah. So then they have some, like, kind of, like, fun bantery Whoops. back and yeah. forth. And then the building security comes up because they got alerted. And uh, she dives out a window and falls, like, 100 feet. And then it's fine and just like runs off into the darkness. Yeah. And I just realized I forgot to mention something important for the plot. When she's when she first tries to hide from the bodyguard before she takes him down, she walks into a bedroom and finds a woman like reading a bedtime story to a little girl who's asleep. So there's that's a thing. Yeah. It's there. That is at Mr. Eyes Only's apartment. Yeah, you assume his wife and child or something. He checks in with them to make sure they're okay when he first catches her. Anyway, yeah, she she launches herself through a full-on window. Yep. Which Okay, she's a super soldier, and so she could survive that. But is she made out of bullets? Because I just have a hard time believing she was able to launch herself at a high enough velocity from how close she was to that window to be able to break the window. Well, you know, EMPs make glass less strong. Oh, that's what it is, yeah. 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 Totally what it is. Sure. There's no reason uh, for us to talk about that anymore. (laughs) So in the next scene, it's another morning, quipping with her roommates. They're interrupted by a cop who's blackmailing the inhabitants of the building in exchange for not reporting on the squatters. Basically, it's a little bit of world building there. They have a weird roommate bonding interaction over spitting in the dude's coffee. It's kind of a dumb line. Um, Max then checks in with Theo before going to work. We learn that he is a vet. He is suffering from the disease and on the drug that the eyes only guy mentioned. And it doesn't seen to be working because he is clearly worse than he was when he when she checked on him the day before. <clears throat> then Mr. Eyes Only, who we learn is named Logan Kale, 
tracks Max to first her work and then the bar and approaches her. And I did not, I was saving the reveal of who this actor was and I didn't do it in the previous scene, so I'm going to do it now. Because the second she saw him from the side, like we just see the side of his face and he's doing his eyes only broadcast, I lost my freaking mind because the name I'd seen in the credits and gone, oh, I wonder where he'll show up was Michael Weatherly. Did you recognize him, strangely? I did not. What should I recognize him from? Fucking Dinozo. Blondie from NCIS. Oh, my God. The, the tedious, horrible, sexist asshole from NCIS. Well, there you go. Which, when did NCIS start? In, like, 2004. Like, so 2003. This, right. So it was, that like was right very after, shortly after He went this. right from, he probably got that role on the strength of his, of his performance in Dark Angel. But, like, you know, when I, I saw those two names in the credits, I was like, oh, I love Alimi Ballard. He's on numbers. He's great. And, oh, fuck, Michael Weatherly. Oh, we'll see where he shows up. Then Alimi Ballard gets to play a ridiculous one-note stereotype who has nothing to do in the episode but be colorful, and Michael Weatherly is the main character. <laughs> However, he's so much better in this than he was in NCIS. He was great in I this. mean, he has a better character to yeah. play. Dinozo is a horrible, horrible character, but, like, I never buy him on NCIS as, like, a, attractive because even though he's, I guess, kind of good-looking, I can't even see that he's good-looking because he's so disgusting as a person. In this, I'm like, oh, my God, I get it. He's dreamy. He's totally dreamy. Anyway, he's got these little wire glasses that make him look kind of nerdy, but in, a, like, a rich intellectual way, not, like, a poindexter way. Anyway, so he shows up at the bar says, you know, you know my secrets. It's only fair that I get to know who you are. And I know what you're up to and whether you're going to try and kill me because, you know, a lot of people want me dead. I do stuff that pisses people off. And we learn that the woman at his apartment is actually one of his informants. They're planning to take down this drug runner, but the woman and her child will have to go into witness protection after she reports on him. She worked in one of his factories or something like that. Uh, he asks Max for her help in protecting her, basically. Because he's like, you have some serious... He says a great... It's a great line. He doesn't say, you are clearly some sort of robot or superhuman. He just says, that was a pretty amazing display of athleticism. Understatement of the year, but well put. She's like, well, why do you want to help people? Like, what's in it for you? And he basically lays out, you know, my parents were really rich, which is why I am clearly quite well off. And he wants to use his wealth and his power to try to help people. You know, he has great power... And he feels that that conveys him a certain level of, um, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking Responsibility. for? Responsibility. That's the one. The thing that comes with great power. <laughs> Thank you, strangely. Yeah, that's the one. Um, she's kind of skeptical, does the, you know, it's not my problem. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with me. And then Batman's away when his back is turned. Classic. So Max arrives home from work, presumably the next day, to find the Egyptian statue that she'd been admiring in Kale's apartment. Uh, yeah like, in her bedroom. And it's a statue of Bubastis, which is kind of cool. Like, yeah. Just thought I'd they, During their little quip earlier, yeah. we established that he knows a lot about the origin of the statue and when it was made and, and everything, and she knows that it's of Basques. <laughs> no, nice little back and forth. They're both smarty pants. Yeah. So then she goes back to his apartment, and I like to think that she did the whole, like, jump between buildings thing again to, like, go visit him again. Like, this just... The yeah, she just shows up in his apartment. Yeah. We don't know how she got in this time. Uh, and she's like, yo, this was in my house. Like, you're, you're, you're being a creep. Yeah. And then he's yeah. like, well, you broke in on me. For, like, you, you broke in first. Yeah. Come on. And then 
he kind of starts flirting with her and it's actually just so that he can look at the back of her neck where we see that she has this barcode tattoo. Right. Which we saw in the flashback yeah. that we hadn't yet, not yet seen on her as an adult. Like as soon as he sees it, the flirting goes away and he starts talking about that he knows. Yeah. He says, what if, what if I told you I could find the others? And yeah. she's like, well, what, what others? <laughs> I don't the know what you're talking others about. from child soldier jail, yeah. which he says is called project Manticore. Which, awesome, like, you know, genetic engineering, manticore. Ah. Yeah. Later, later they refer to her as being a, they pronounce it wrong. They say chimera. I'm sorry, are you trying to say the name of a car? I, at least I have always heard it pronounced chimera. Yeah. Pretty sure that is. Chimera. They say chimera, whatever. It's, it's definitely not chimera. But Max pretends like she doesn't know what he's talking, like, clearly she reacts to what he's saying, but she pretends like she doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And she tries to leave, but that's when he hooks her back in by yeah. saying he can help her find the others because he knows that 12 kids es- escaped that night. Yeah. As soon as he drops the number 12, she does the child voice again and goes, what? Yeah. So it's clearly, she, Max is someone processing a lot of trauma. Yeah. Uh, he, he says he'll help her find the others and learn more about her past if she helps him take down Sunrisa. She says, no way. She's re- she's managed to stay off the radar for all these years by not getting involved in things and just yeah. kind of keeping a low profile. Uh, I keep not knowing where to mention this, so I'll, uh, I'll mention it here because we just talked about the barcode, which is the thing that tipped me off. Some of the flashback scenes of the kids in child soldier jail, I was like, I've seen this before. I know I never, I've never watched Dark Angel, but I have so seen, like, I've seen this shot. Why have I seen this? So apparently some of the footage of kids in the, the child soldier camp with yeah. barcodes on the backs of their necks was reused for the Hitman movie. Uh, Hitman is a film based on a popular series of video games about an uh-huh. international assassin okay. who is bald, who has a barcode on the back of his neck because he was trained in a like child Similar soldier, situation. like super soldier thing. And they actually reused the Literally footage? Literally reused the same footage. That's how good the cinematography is on this yeah. TV show. They reused it for a low-tier movie, but still. Yeah, but, like, I, it was so surreal. Yeah. Because I was I, like, how is this? I actually forgot to mention this before, and as long as we're talking about it, I'm going to say it too. They nailed the casting of young Max. Oh, yeah. Because one of the things about that initial scene is all of the kids have the same weird buzz cut. Seems like they should just all have shaved heads, but they have a very specific, like, high and tight kind of buzz cut situation going on and they're all wearing these gray smocks so you kind of can't really tell in as much as you can tell someone's gender from looking at them you can't tell with these kids um and the second you first see young max i went oh right jessica alba's in this movie like i recognized this is a this looks like young jessica alba it was i meant to look up and see if it was like if she had a younger sister or something that i didn't look up the name of the actress who played young max but if you told me Oh, actually, she had a sister who was almost 10 years younger than her, so they used her. I would have been like, oh, that explains everything. Because it's it's eerie. Yeah. Also, I want to mention that in this scene, it was one of the delightfully 90s lines that just belies that this was written in the late 90s, which is, uh, oh, he's basically saying, like, look, I know you're not a normal person. You can do all this crazy stuff. You jumped out a window and brushed it off and then walked away. And she said, girls kick ass. It says so on the t-shirt. <laughs> it's just so 90s. It was such a it's such a dumb line, but it's also like such a 90s reference. Girls yeah. kick ass. I feel it like, says so on the Oh, I just was taken right back. I feel like the equivalent would be like 
the future is female. It says so on the T-shirt. Yeah, no, you can the, make that the, exact joke. It would be even better if it was like, if in they did a oh, modern remake of Dark Angel, but the actress is black. And in that line, she goes, haven't you seen the hashtag? Black girls are magic. Boom. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, moving on. Dick the private eye is closing up his office and the laundromat, which serves as a front, which is delightful. And he is attacked by a mystery assailant all in black. When Max visits him later, she learns his office has been bugged and tossed after he was beaten. Like, she walks in and is like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, yeah, robbed. Probably a disgruntled former client. While he's scribbling on a notepad and then holds it up to her and says, office is bugged. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And he goes, I didn't get much information for you about your fiance. And she goes, oh, no. And he's like, what, would you like to go to the bathroom? And she goes, yes, thank you. They have this conversation which could have been played up comedically as like a little bit stilted, but it just read as like the bad acting that's kind of in the show already. Um, I think they might have been trying to make it a little stilted, but it, I'm sorry, uh, Jessica Alba's acting wasn't good enough to read well, an intentional stilted from normal stilted to I me. Know, it was like a weird shot, reverse shot thing too, where like if you had had it, if you had filmed this exchange more wide and let the two actors play off each other and like find a comedic footing for it, yeah. it would have really worked. But like, it's, it's just a two camera setup. It's one of the few scenes that feels really TV as opposed to more cinematic like this show has. Yeah. But he basically gets her out into the alley where he tells her he can't work for her anymore because someone is clearly after her. The tech of the bugs that he found, it's way too uh, high tech to be just like one of his clients checking in on him clearly or something Clearly this like is that. Amazon. This is... This is big stuff. And he's like, you've pissed off somebody serious. Uh, he t- says, just take the money and get out of town. She returns home to find out from Theo's wife that he died, basically from taking the fake drugs that weren't actually medicine. And in that moment, Max clearly realizes that this does affect her after all. Uh, Max has another seizure. The and next day, yeah. In, in this, there's a, another flashback to Max having a seizure at the Project Manticore facility. And during that, like, the, the guards would come and try to take Max away, and the other kids fight to keep Max from getting taken away. There's kind of a subtext of the kids who get pulled away don't come back or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there was another flashback. She had another seizure flashback montage earlier mm-hmm. that I forgot to include because it didn't feel all that important. All it did was establish that there was another kid who had a seizure and got taken away, and Max gets up in the night and sees them operating on the kids, That's basically right. doing an autopsy, and she sees Lydecker. So it's yeah. just another anchor to that guy. She knows his face and she knows yeah. he was there. So another one of the kids named Zach basically starts a, a tiny child soldier prison riot. Yeah. And they shockingly effectively take down the guards and like get away. Uh, considering the way that they're training them, it's almost surprising that they didn't do it sooner. Yeah. But like even I say Although shocking- they are they're all they are all supposed to be eight to ten years old. Yeah, I say shockingly effectively, not because it's unbelievable or like the, that the kids could do it. Shots. It's more of like it's kind of unsettling. Yeah. You know, it's like a one of those um those like internet questions of like how many five year olds do you think you could fight or whatever? And it's yeah. like seeing these kids like going to town on these like full grown adults. Yeah. Is scary. Yeah. And the way they're like leaping out the window and really efficiently like doing like tuck like a jump. Yeah, like parkour shit and yeah. everything. Like it's just like it's it's just it's it's mechanical though. It's like soldier like. It's super effective storytelling because we 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 don't like that's one of my favorite things about the show is that there's no like montage of somebody being like, they were given training in special ops, parkour, gun handling, 
Mortal hand-to-hand combat. Mortal <laughs> combat. They, you know, like, you, I want to montage of the kids playing in arcade But game. you know what I mean? There was no, like... Yeah, we was, just see that yeah. they were learning, and we see through their escape that they are good at stuff. Yeah. In the middle of the escape, Max, from hiding, uh, like, out in the woods, watches Lydecker just straight-up shoot one of the other escapees. Yeah. And... It's so dark. Like Yeah, it's it's an important moment for her, too, to yeah. that we know she knows Lydecker's face, and she knows that he is all over this organization and literally killed a kid in addition to being complicit in the death of the other kid from the earlier flashback. So uh, later on, probably that same day, we see Max arriving at work, and Normal is like, Theo hasn't been in in three days. Like, he's definitely fired. Yeah. Tell your friend Theo he's fired yeah. if he cares, which maybe he doesn't, but his wife and kid might. Normal's an asshole. Max is like, he's dead. Just pretty deadpan, just like yeah, straight up. Yeah, to which Normal has no quickie, yeah. quippy response. He just looks like, oh. Then there's another one of those lovely Expolog news reports on television. Oh, so good. I love it. That basically shows that uh, Logan and Lauren, in their attempt to get to somewhere that Lauren could inform on the guy, uh, on Sonreza. Yeah. Like... Lauren is the informant from earlier with the little girl. Yeah. There's, like, d- overhead drone footage of of their car getting attacked, and there's, like, a gun battle. Yeah, there's a whole f- bunch of goons with guns that converge on their car. And they they, they kill Logan's bodyguard, uh, Mr. Mr. Meat Mountain. Yeah. And they take the kid. Yeah. And and, run and Logan off with the gets kid. shot as well. Yes. Logan is like We see him shot, but it's wounded. also seems clear that he wasn't actually yeah. he's not actually dead. Which uh, th- this was so visceral for me. I think it's because we now live in an age where there is like drone footage of all kinds oh, of yeah. shit happening. I was like, yeah, seeing this like drone footage of like not cops, but like yeah. you know, effectively, uh shooting these people. And, like I was like I had a little moment where I was like, whoa, too, little too real. One of the things that really sells it is that they don't overdo it. It's like grainy and like weird, like kind of pixelated and like the angle is like top down. Yeah, at the very end, one of the gunmen looks up and shoots the drone and that's when the footage ends. Yeah. It's established that there are police drones around the city. They they show that earlier yeah. uh, in the episode. That... Very cyberpunk sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it just like this was again one of those things that just like so viscerally effective not just for how prescient it was circa 2000, but also just like it felt really well executed. Yeah. And important, I, I feel like we might not have actually said this. Lauren escapes. Yes, Lauren got away. The bodyguard gets shot getting Lauren off to safety. So in the next scene, we see in a fancy office, two men are reporting to Lydecker, the blonde dude from the flashbacks from the lab. One of those dudes is Veronica Mars's dad. But he's not credited, and he's not listed on IMDb as an uncredited role. But I'm 1,000% sure it was him. It's weird. Mm. Anyway, they're basically reporting on their surveillance of the, uh, of the of Dick, the private eye. And they're basically saying it's a dead end. He hasn't had any calls or any computer, search, computer searches or anything having to do with this case. So it's clearly just a dead end. And Lydecker's like, oh, really? One guy has, like... 23 different searches having to do with Wyoming in 2009, DMV searches, police records and arrests and hospital records for kids between 8 to 10 years old at the time. And you think it's a frickin' coincidence. It's interesting because you'd expect that line to be delivered a little more, like, threateningly, like, oh, really? You think it's a coincidence? Well, I'm going to kill you now or something. He just delivers it like, 
you dumb. And he basically says, this guy is obviously trying to track those kids down, and we're going to let him. So Max, having seen the news report, sneaks into the hospital and finds Logan in a coma. And she, like, monologues to coma Logan. It's uh, weird. And basically says, like, it's your fault that that kid is in danger now. Yeah. Even though, like, he took literal bullets to try to protect the kid. He used his, literally used his body to protect the child. She's she, pretty mad. She then realizes that Sunrisa is going to try to finish Sunriza. the job. Sorry. Sunrisa. Sunrisa. Sunrisa, Sunrisa. Your Sunrisa is my Sunrisa. <laughs> Sorry, that's just my Star Trek filtering in. Sorry. Realizing that Sunrisa is going to try to... Did I just say it again? Fuck. I'm like, did you do that on purpose? No. Realizing... <clears throat> Sunrisa. Realizing that Sunrisa is going to try to finish the job, she kind of starts, like, looking around. Honestly, Bodyguard it's, checking the room. I'm assuming that's what she was doing. Yeah. I wrote that in the notes because I assumed that. But yeah. literally all that happens in the scene is she's given that weird monologue to him, and then suddenly she looks out the window. Yeah. And for no reason at all. And again, we get, like, that same super soldier zoom vision thing. She sees that there's a guy on the rooftop across the street, and he's, like, doing something. He's building a rocket launcher or some shit. Yeah, and then we see Max wheeling Logan's gurney out of the room. His whole hospital bed. Yeah, as the room just freaking explodes. She delivers a classic, like, walking away from explosion line. She's like, she says something about, like, I'm going to get some money out of you when all this is done or something. And it's like, I've been thinking about... Replacing my motorcycle. Pa-boom! And then she goes, I think I might upgrade to a, some some technical motorcycle yeah. term. Like, very blasé. But, like, instead of playing like she's such a badass, she didn't even flinch at an explosion, it just plays like she's maybe deaf and didn't hear it. Yeah. She's just, I it's, think I'll get a new motorcycle. Maybe I'll upgrade. I, but, I, yeah, I can't convey enough that in that scene, she doesn't go, wait a minute. There's nothing that tips her off yeah. that they're gonna... She doesn't, like check the room like a cool bodyguard checking for for danger. She just wanders over to the window and looks out and then sees the guy. And yeah. I can't tell if she was supposed to be realizing that he, oh no, they might come finish the job. So she looks out the window or if she just casually looked out the window and then saw the guy. It's played very weird. Her whole monologue to him, her first line is, if you head, if you dive head first, into the deep end with no water, you're gonna go splat. Even Jesus Christ himself had to obey the laws of gravity. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Also, did he? I kinda think it's part of his deal that he didn't. I mean, I'm Jewish, but I'm relatively certain that a big part of the whole Jesus thing is he did not have to obey the laws of gravity. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. You're, you're, you you got raised by all them he, Bible people. He raised on that New Testament jazz. <laughs> am I right or am I wrong? You, you, you're you right. There was Thank a you. lot of defying of physics. There was some levitation and like... like. He was a demon zealot in that shit defying gravity. What? <laughs> Topical reference. Uh, I didn't even plan to do that. I just had so to go for it. Max takes Logan back to his apartment and is using his computer system to look up information on Sonrisa. 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 I don't know. And the weird. guy that she saw at the hospital, like, she figures out who the guy with the rocket launcher was. And that he is, in fact, employed by Sonrisa. It's not just supposition. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, who had escaped the gun battle earlier, arrives at the apartment and 
and asks Max to help her save her daughter. And this is the moment where Max, like, really, I, like, even though she decided to help earlier, like, this is the moment where she really goes all in and she's like, I will help you. Yeah. So then she uh, uses, like, Logan's computer some more to get some more info and sort of plan her next move. Yeah. There's a tedious line in this, which could have been, and I don't want to say 100% it was entirely the director's fault or entirely Jessica Alba's fault, but the line is when she goes, please, please help me and my daughter, Max goes, I'd like to help. Like, she's going to deliver her usual, uh, but I can't. And then she pauses and goes, so I will. <laughs> but there's there's not a clear moment where she goes, I'd like to help, but... And then she flashes back to Thea's death or something and goes, so I will. <laughs> she just delivers it like she was psyching her out, like it was a, I'd like to help. Uh, so I will. Hey, gotcha. Had you, had you go in there? I mean, she doesn't figure guns like I just did, but it's... It's it's not that line just written on paper could either be psyching someone out or it could be somebody having a little come to Jesus moment during the ellipsis. And it is really not clear from the delivery in the wet shot, which they intended. I'm sure they intended it to be a come to Jesus moment, but it does not read that way. Uh, so we then see Max doing some uh, super soldier ninja shit in the dark, sneaking into Sunrise's uh, apartment. Excuse me, his fancy ass mansion, where he's clearly having some kind of big party. There's important people there and everything. She sneaks into a bathroom, runs into a sexy blonde lady in a tight red dress who is clearly an escort. I mean, she also says more or less explicitly that she is. Max knocks the woman out, steals her clothes to blend in. In the first example of uh, one of those classic, we were trying to come up with a name for this earlier, of when somebody like grabs the last soldier in line and then pops right back up in their, in their outfit. This was a less explicit uh, version of that trope, although there's a more explicit one later. I was going to reference Indiana Jones for this, but when he steals the Nazi guy's uniform in, La in Lost Ark, he, the uniform doesn't fit. Yeah. This dress fits her perfectly. I actually had a moment where I went, oh, here we go, or the dress fits her perfectly, even though the other girl she was talking to was like super curvy and busty, yeah. and Jessica Alba's relatively slight. And then I went, you know what? I'm actually going to go ahead and say this was done better. It was obviously a different cut of the dress to fit her better. Mm -hmm. The same dress would have hung much more. Yeah. But it was not perfectly form-fitting. No. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give them that. They may have actually consciously made an effort right. to make the dress look like it didn't entirely fit her. It still fit her too well. The freaking stockings fit her. <laughs> that woman was at least a foot taller than her. But anyway... She then slinks into the party with her face all made up and her hair is like wet for some reason. I guess she decided that in addition to putting on a tight red dress and heels and a bunch of makeup, the additional touch she needed to make herself look like a prostitute was to make her look like she had product in her hair. That was important. <laughs> but the, um, she slinks down into the party. She immediately catches Sunrisa's eye and is invited to his private poker table where she pretty quickly reveals she's not actually there to party, but to do business. And straight up says, you're going to give me $50,000, and I'm going to give you Lauren Bricado. And he immediately goes, oh, I'm not just dealing with a sass mouth hooker. I'm dealing with someone else. And sends everyone else out of the room except for Bruno. And they basically hash out that uh, she is going to get, she made a deal. She basically convinces him she made a deal with Lauren to get the kid back. But she's like, actually... I just want you to give me some money. I'll give you Lauren. I don't fucking care what happens to her right. afterwards. But she says, yeah, I convinced this woman that I'm going to help her get her kid back. But she also convinces Sunriza, um, who buys the whole thing, 
she convinces him also, if we're going to get this woman to come to the place I tell her to come to so you can knock her off, we need to convince her that everything is on the up and up as I told her my plan was going. So we need to give her proof of life that her kid is okay. So she calls Lauren and then goes, hold on, Lauren, we're going to conference in Sophie and then looks at Sunriza and he does some beepity beepity beeps on the phone and that's where her skills with the speed dial come in. She hears the speed dial tone and it goes to a house where some of his goons are holding the kid. She then further convinces him that he needs to send Bruno with her, Bruno with the money. She's basically like, okay, so we got a deal. Give me the money. And he's like, no way. I don't give you the money until I see Lauren. And she goes, uh, if Lauren comes here, though, you just kill us both. So you send me and Bruno. Bruno holds the money. He's the bag man. We go to the to the meeting location. When Lauren shows up, he hands me the cash, and I, I bolt. And it's, I don't know if you mentioned it in the thing, but Bruno is the goon who yes. uh, shot the rocket or whatever at yeah. the hotel room. He is the goon who, who tried to kill Logan, and he is established as a very bad man. There are two weird things in this scene that I wanted to call out. One, why is Sunrisa eating pudding? After he sends all of his poker buddies away and they have this whole conversation about money and, and ransoms and things, he's, he picks up a bowl of pudding that has been sitting on his desk and starts eating it for some kind of dessert. It's weird. It's super weird. I kind of like to think that that is a, uh, like a contractual thing with that actor. <laughs> he always has some pudding? It's like his, his signature. He's eating pudding. My guess was it was some kind, supposed to be some kind of power move where he's like, I'm so cash about this whole situation, I consider eating pudding. But I, it was weird. They didn't make a big deal of it. Like, sometimes bad guys are shown doing something sort of innocuous yeah. as a sort of thing to set you off your balance, but it wasn't played right. that way. He just eats pudding. It's, it was one of those things that, to actually, to actually take a serious stab at answering that question, it could be something that was a holdover from an earlier draft, mm. where it was originally intended to be something like that. And then it that was just like, sometimes, yeah. like the props people and everybody were like, well, we made the freaking pudding. She burned. Or they already shot it. And then later they were like in editing. They went, oh, we took out the reference to why he ordered pudding from his room, no, yeah. room service, from his staff or something. But they're like, well, we can't cut every shot of him with pudding in his hands out. So just leave it. Nobody will care. Yeah. The other weird thing is when she first walks down the stairs into the party wearing her stolen red dress, we see another one of the escorts on the arm of some businessman walking upstairs. This escort turns around, even though presumably her attention would be mostly on the guy she's being paid to pay attention to. She turns around, sees Max, and says, you are working that dress girl, and then walks away. There's no reason for this. It, it doesn't add anything to the plot, and Max doesn't really react in some way. It's not like Max has been dressing really drab and mousy, and this is the first time she got to look cool. She's been wearing, like, leather jackets and looking like a badass this whole time. Yeah. And looking very hot this whole time. So there's this. it wasn't that. Um, and I thought it was Charisma Carpenter, who plays Cordelia on The Angel. I also thought it was Charisma Carpenter. So I went, was that a cameo? Was that, like, a fun... Is that why she... Because a lot of times when an, a character shows up who has no name or meaning and says a line that has nothing to do with the plot and isn't really a joke, a lot of times it's a some kind of cameo. Like Jimmy Buffett drinking it's, a margarita in Jurassic World. Well, more like Stan Lee showing up in every Marvel movie and going, I'm getting so fired for this or whatever, you know. Yeah. It has nothing to do with anything, but it's just to go, hey, look, Stan Lee. 
So I went, oh, wait, was this a WB show? This was shot while Buffy and Angel were right. on the air. It's Dark Angel. It must have been a reference. No, I looked it up, and I'm pretty sure I found the actress who, who played that character. And she's no, she's, well, she's not nobody. She's been in other things, uh, very notably in the Blood Rain series of films. The Bloodrun. Bloodrun. You know, those movies about Mr. Bloodrun. And, yeah, there's no reason for it. It's very confusing, and I, it's like, why? I thought it was weird when I thought it was Charisma Carpenter. It was way weirder when it wasn't. So, moving on. Max and Bruno go to, like, a no-tell motel Mm -hmm. to meet and wait for the drop or something. Like, why they're exactly there, I didn't quite follow, but... I think Lauren's supposed to come meet them there. Oh, okay. So, they're they're there for the meet. Yeah. Uh, So, while they're there, uh, Max basically convinces Bruno this is like it's like a triple cross she like convinces Bruno that Sunrisa did I say it right? yes yes I said it right that Sunrisa hired her to kill Bruno because he had botched assassinating Logan yeah so it's it's actually kind of delightful yeah she goes a little over the top in mocking him in a way that was like yeah but you realize later why right so he gets, like, they have this fight, and this is was another one of those, like, they definitely played very well within their budget. Because, like, she's clearly really fast and, like, moves faster than he can shoot. Mm-hmm. But it, it feels within the realm of what is possible. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the fight. And also, she says she's going to inject him with, like, a lethal dose of insulin or something oh, like that. Oh, there was a throwaway line earlier about the prostitute being diabetic and right. having... so she had some insulin. Yeah. Uh... But then he manages to get to, to get free, gets his gun, and she on purpose runs away so that he shoots her. And she lands in the pool. Yeah. And he like sees that, thinks she's dead, and leaves announcing like conveniently out loud. Yeah, that he's gonna make Sonrisa pay for double crossing him. As he's leaving, we see Max come out of the pool and her her makeup, I've gotta know that brand. It was perfect. I Under want, the water's clearly for several yeah. minutes, and it just, boom. I want I want Max's makeup, and I want Green Arrow's makeup remover. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> like... Oh, those two combined, you could be unstoppable. I could do a one-man show and play, like, multiple characters. It would be incredible. Uh, so Max gets out of the pool, goes over to a phone, calls Dick, her dick, and uh, asks him to trace the number that she remembered from the boops. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Lydecker is outside of Dick's place in a van, intercepts that call, and... Uh, Not intercepts, but listens but, like, in. But, is listening yeah. in. Uh, so Dick gives her the number. She hops on her motorcycle and, like, rushes off to... Yeah, he gives her the address for yeah. where the, the number went to. Yeah. So she hops on her motorcycle and just, like, heads off. Yeah. And I gotta say, about this whole combined two scenes, right... I was, yeah, I, like I said, I was confused. I was like, why is she mocking him so much? It just feels a little over the top. But then you realize later, she had to get him mad enough that he would go after Sunriza. And then she ties him up and is about to, you know, get him with the insulin. He works himself free, gets his gun, looks at her. Instead of using her super soldier abilities to get the gun and be like, uh, no... She not only runs, she runs in a straight line, straight for, the, straight for the pool. And I was definitely going, wait a minute, what? But yeah, we figure. As soon as she goes down in the pool, you go, aha. And the reason you know as soon as she goes down in the pool that she's okay is not just because she's a super soldier, but because of a shot we didn't mention earlier from the right. escape. Do we want to talk about that now? We'll, we'll put a, just... We'll put a pin in that. Yeah. Also, 
I mentioned to you earlier there was a line from the show I kept wanting to just say out loud. It's like just, it was so absurd and wonderful. And it was a line from this scene where after she gets Bruno on the ground and ties up his hands with the cord of a lamp or whatever, and she pulls down his pants and like gives his butt a little smack, preemptive to getting the needle and, and uh, injecting him because she needs to shoot him in the butt for some reason. When she does it, He's very, he's very whiny at this point. He's, he is not handling the whole, I just got my ass handed to me by a woman who, like, a 19-year-old girl shaped like a bunch of twigs tied together with hotness string. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she ties him up. He's being really like, oh, come on, man. She smacks him playfully on the butt, and he goes, you touched my ass, man. <laughs> he's like, Look, it's such a weird line, though. It's like... The delivery is what makes it so weird. Wait, no, the line itself and the delivery, I, yeah. I would argue, are both weird. If it was a guy doing it, you could be like, oh, come on, insult to injury, you tied me up and you're also going to touch my butt, which is gay and gross or something. But it, it just, he's saying to a girl, you touched my ass, man. It's... What, yeah. What is he upset about, about her smacking his butt? Like, why is that upset? I get that it's a little bit like, demeaning it's supposed to be because she's trying to rile him up but instead of getting mad like hey don't you dare touch me or something like that or trying to have some bravado he goes you touched my ass man it's like the such a weird line i can't get over it it's more (laughs) like the reaction of like someone accidentally spilling your beer yeah or like someone spilled beer on you it's like that reaction oh come on i just got this shirt yeah Yeah. that's how the the line is delivered but it's you touched my and you did all of this and you touched my butt? Insult to injury? All it's, this and the butt. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, anyway, it, it was it was one of those lines I actually had to pause the episode and be like, what? It's one of those things that makes you pronounce the H in what, you know? Yeah, yep. Moving on. Uh, let's see, what are we What are we next? Uh, Lydecker has beaten Max to the building. Because this is after, now, she's, she's rushed off to rescue the kid. But Lydecker has beaten her there. He's got a huge team, SWAT-type guys in the whole gear, right? Gear and all that. He's saying, 10 of you over here and 12 of you over there, cover every door. And one of the guys is like, it's one girl. Why don't we just get her as she walks out? And he looks at him and goes, when you have every single door, window, air vent, rat hole, and mail slot in this building covered, you come to me. And I like that he doesn't say, you don't know what you're dealing with. She's not just some girl. He just looks at the guy and goes, yeah, do what I freaking asked, soldier, <laughs> basically. He's like, uh, this is above your pay grade, buddy. I kind of like that. Lydecker is weirdly played as almost likable. Not especially likable in a way where they were trying to set you off. Oh, he's so likable, but he's evil. But also, they didn't make him especially unlikable. He's just sort of a guy. And I think it's one of those pilot things where they didn't know what they wanted to do with the character yet. Yeah, well, it's probably some of it was what the actor was bringing to it and, you know. Yeah. Nothing is my answer. But anyway, Max sneaks into the building, uh, and when Lydecker's team bursts in, guns a-blazing, she uh, knocks one of them out, steals a uniform, classic. So she is able to pick Sophie up, the little girl, and just walk out with her. As she's walking out, Lydecker actually sees her, stops her, looks her in the eye, and then just says, put the girl in my car. She nods and walks away. Seconds later, he's on his walkie-talkie, saying, did you get the target? And they're like, negative, we did not acquire the target. And in an actually good bit of acting from this guy, you watch his face realize, 
Oh, fuck. I, I was just talking to her, wasn't I? I was just talking to her. As her motorcycle roars off in the distance, we see it on his face that he's like, that was her. Shit. <laughs> it's nice. Because he doesn't go, Dark Angel, and shake his fist at the sky. He just goes, it's, but it's not played comedically. I don't know. No. It's a nice moment where it's neither played silly nor over dramatic. So then Max returns the girl to her mother, but, you know, rides off on her motorcycle without waiting to accept any thanks. Back at the bike messenger zoo where all the bike messengers are kept. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a news report on the TV that basically tells us that Max's plan worked. Bruno and Sonrisa killed each other yeah. in a... A fight. A hail of bullets. A hail of bullets. I believe they do use the phrase hail of bullets. Oh, it's classic. It's classic. The best. Uh, bike messenger from ostensibly a rival bike messenger delivery service comes in. <laughs> yes. And Normal is like, what the, what the ass? And like is a dick to him. And the guy's like, I have this package. It's $127 from funeral home. And Normal's like, I'm not going to pay that. Yeah. But Max realizes that it's Theo's ashes and that they should be brought to Theo's family. And there's this really sweet moment of all the bike messengers, like, taking a collection. Yeah, Cindy walks over to a trash can, empties it, and then just holds it out. I love, she doesn't put in the first dollar, like, come on, guys. She just holds it out with a look like, y'all motherfuckers better put some cash in this trash. Put some cash in the trash. And then even even Normal puts in some money, but he, like, there's this... Oh, no, he he turns away Turning away to, like, see how much is in his wallet. Yeah, he turns away and is carefully counting what's in his wallet. You can see him going, I think, yes, it'd be weird if I don't put any money in. But then the ridiculous Jamaican stereotype goes over and goes, keep your money, man. We got it taken care of. I am barely exaggerating, you guys. Ugh. Here's the funny part, though. Nobody counts that money. Everybody no. just throws some money in, and then he hands the wind, the waste paper basket to the delivery guy, who takes it and walks away without counting it. He takes the trash basket, too. It's like clearly like a former busker. It's like, that pile of loose, crumpled bills is about... Yeah, that'll cover it. Yeah. I was going to make a comment about, you and I are both buskers, and we both know that, like... Uh, okay, you might be able to glance at it and get an idea, but you don't know how much is in there, so you, you always count. Not specific, yeah, you always count. You pass the hat, you count it afterwards. But anyway, yeah. three months later, it says on the screen, we see Logan recording another eyes-only report, this time about human trafficking, and Max is watching him. She has arrived to check in on him. She makes a comment about, sorry I didn't check in sooner, but I didn't want to. Like, she kind of sasses him, but it's also, you did come check in on him, though. So, she cares. A little. We learn in this scene that Logan is in a wheelchair as a result of uh, being shot, that he had a spinal cord injury. It would seem that he will be using a wheelchair for the foreseeable future, if not forever. So he's basically Watchtower. (laughs) I thought about that, too. So he compliments her on having taken Sonrisa down, effectively, and basically asks her to help him on another case, I guess, another with another attempt to take down somebody who needs to be taken down and to right some wrong. She turns him down. It's like, yeah, uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of like being able to walk, which that's cold, girl. That's cold. Uh, he takes it in stride and offers her, not even in a, well, maybe you'll want to help me if I offer you this. He just goes, oh, hey, by the way, I found out some more information about one of the kids who escaped. And I like that. He, he doesn't offer it in trade. He just goes, by the way, he hands her the file. Mm-hmm. And she flips through it and he goes, I found an arrest report. 
going under this name from Wyoming in this time and blah, blah, blah. And she sees in the folder, there's a shot of the tattoo, the barker on the back of the neck, and then a shot of the kid's face. And she immediately recognizes as Zach, the kid who led the escape and saved her life. We end with another shot of Max sitting on top of that ridiculous, dilapidated space needle, doing a little voiceover about how she's not going to get involved just because Logan found some stuff out about my past and I'm, I'm still not going to get involved. Honestly, it she it's unconvincing partially because Jessica was not that good an actress, but also a little unconvincing because we know where the show is going from here because right. we know how TV works. But I thought it was interesting that it ends very much on not her going, I guess it's time for me to be this city's dark angel. <laughs> like it ends with her going, nope, still not getting involved. Yeah. Even though it's tempting. Which... I think there's a lot of room for that character to grow, mm-hmm. which we'll get into in a second. So, yeah. uh, roll credits. Yeah, that's bam. <laughs> no, uh, no credit sequence on this one. There was no. Yeah. Dark angel. You know, we didn't we didn't get anything. Which I'm very much looking forward to finding, finding out what yes. it looks like yes. on the show. Yeah. Yes. So let's move on to our first post uh, recap segment which we affectionately like to call, Where Did the Money Go? Now, I want to say, as you, was, you did mention earlier during the recap, they spent their money pretty well on this show. There was no big showy moment. And all of the effects, which with a, with a sci-fi show would normally mm-hmm. be where all the money is spent, were surprisingly subtle for the time period. It makes sense since this was supposed to be this big cinematic thing with James Cameron's name on it and everything, but... Because, I mean, this was, like, right after Titanic. Yes. He was on top of the ding-dang world. Well. No? No, because he went phenomenally over budget on Titanic and was sort of persona non grata in Hollywood for, like, the next 10-ish years, which is, I think, one of the reasons he went and made this television show. Really? Yeah. Because you would think, yeah, I know going over budget as much as he did is is a no-no in Hollywood, but, like, you cannot really argue with the results. That's true, but... Titanic it, was the biggest movie in the world my, at the time. Just, I mean, it was huge. It's very it a true. phenomenon. My understanding of, of talking to pe- people, though, is, is that that is, like, the big no-no. I mean, there might have been other personality conflict things that happened there, but, like, no studio would touch him for quite I a while. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. From the perspective of studio, they're like, okay, we don't hate you for going over budget because this time it worked. Right. But we're not taking the risk next time. Yeah. Because it might not work next time. For every time. Titanic, there's a water world. Mm, yeah. Good point. Mm-hmm. Spending a lot of money does not guarantee making a lot of money. Uh, I, I think the the only really obvious signs of spending in this are a couple of the, the really big stunt sequences. The, the sky swing thing across to the skyscraper, like... Clearly, that is a real stunt of a real person, like, swinging yeah. around on real buildings. Yeah, it wasn't aggressively obvious. A lot of times with that, you can really see the part where they cut from the from the stunt double to the actor, or where the actor's face is, like, superimposed. Yeah. It felt pretty natural, that shot. Yeah. Like, I didn't see a spot where I went, eh, there it is. But that was true in general of almost every effect in the show. Mm-hmm. The first big digital effect in the show, which we kind of teased in our recap, was in... The escape scene. I kind of skipped over it because we were trying to tighten this up, but the reason that Max is separated from her, like, best friend, I think she says her, the, her name is Jondi? Jordy, Jondi, something I like that. heard Johnny, and then I looked up in the, online later, and I was like, I think it's a Jondi? Anyway. 
jaundice. The reason that she was separated from, like, her best friend mm-hmm. uh, is that she falls through some ice into a, a lake or pond or something. And she's under the water for a while. And you think, oh, no, she's in danger. And this is one of the first hints we really see of her abilities is that later when you see all the soldiers running around, they pan back to a bit of the ice and she's just sitting there under the ice watching, like waiting up for it to be safe. Yeah, like holding come her out. breath. Yeah, she barely even looks like she's holding her breath. Her eyes are open. She's just kind of chilling under the water like she's fine. She's not struggling at all. And for a second, I was just watching like, this is what's happening. That little girl is under the ice. As they got closer and zoomed in, I went, oh, this is an effects shot. They yeah. shot this actress just looking through a pane of glass. Like, yeah. wow, they really had me going there, though. Yeah. I didn't recognize it as a shot. Normally, in something from 2000? Yeah. That With a, an effect like that, you'd immediately go, oh, boy, there it goes. There's your effects shot. Yeah. I it, They had me going. I was really impressed. And there was no other effects shot in the rest of the episode that was... At most was like that, where I went, oh, it's an effects shot. But they yeah. had me going at first. Yeah. Well, well done, really. So, and the image was so arresting that, like, that... Yeah. You didn't and really it, mind. Yeah. And not only is it a reveal of she's got abilities, mm-hmm. it's also a callback to when she falls into the pool. We go, ah, oh, we've seen this yep, before. Yep. She's just lying there. It's... It's great. Yeah, it was actually really impressive. And I think, in general, where the money must have been spent on this show is getting those effects shots right. Mm-hmm. That one ridiculous shot of her on top of the space naval is probably quite a lot of CGI yes. or whatever. Um, and just in sort of a general way, making this hour and a half long pilot, which was too long, feel very cinematic in general. Yeah. I think that's it. So, moving on to... Our next segment, which doesn't have a cute name, but it's just, what will this show be? I keep trying to come up with a name that references the whole, like, case sera, sera, whatever will yeah. be, will be. At any rate, we want to talk about what we think the show will be like in the day-to-day. Because the regular episode-by-episode slog of a show can feel very different from the pilot. Yes. I think it's just going to be uh, Logan acting as her watchtower, basically yeah. being like, there's some human trafficking, there's a yeah. drug dealer. There's a bad thing. She's reluctant, but he eventually convinces her to help. So, yeah, I think that seems pretty straightforward. She's going to yeah. have her wacky... Career friends are going to help her sometimes with stuff or whatever. Yeah, this is a show that I would not be surprised if in the next two or three episodes we get another main character introduced. Sort of like Doyle on Mm. Angel. I would actually be surprised because there are a lot of characters introduced in this pilot that don't get any business at all. The roommate we barely Mm -hmm. talk to. Even Cindy, her, her sassy lesbian friend, whose nickname is Original Cindy. Everybody has nicknames in the show except Max. I mean, presumably she yeah. has a longer name, but Normal, the boss. Um, the, uh, there's this whole subplot that we just agreed to scrub from our notes and not mention with one of the guys from the courier service named, whose nickname is Sketchy. Mm-hmm. The, there's an entire subplot of him cheating. He has a girlfriend who's too good for him. He cheats on her. The girl he cheats with is this rich lady who, like, is a client of the courier service. She's now threatening to tell the girlfriend, and he gets Max to help him. It's very weird. It's this entire subplot that if you had cut that out and maybe tightened up a few other things, this could have been an hour-long pilot. There's no reason it to be an hour and 25 minutes the way it was. You'd think, oh, an hour and 25 minutes, well, it was such a big universe, and they had all this action stuff. That would have been a good reason for it to be an hour and a half. Yeah. And then they wasted all this time with this dumb subplot, which establishes nothing. Mm-hmm. 
it doesn't like give us a chance to see new abilities from Max or, yeah, or it, anything like that. It's the, it's one of the first times in the show we really see her abilities, but then she does all the same things she does in that scene in other scenes. Yeah. All it is is a weirdly seemingly out of character moment for Max actually because we learn when her boyfriend shows up in also kind of an unnecessary scene that he cheated on her. Mm-hmm. Then when the coworker comes and is like I cheated on my girlfriend. You think, aha, here's how this is going to tie together somehow in the plot. But they they are two unnecessary scenes that only relate to each other. Yeah. And even though she's like, immediately you can see it in her eyes, like, another asshole cheating on his girlfriend, just like my boyfriend cheated on me. Despite this, she helps him. Yeah. She helps him get out of it, get rid of the lady, and hide it all from his girlfriend. And it doesn't make sense why she would do that. It's not, for some reason, Sketchy, who's arguably the least interesting of all of the other colorful characters, gets the most screen time. Yeah. And the most plot. Yeah, it's, there's no reason for it. That whole subplot could have been the beginning of episode one. Speaking of relationships and their uh, attendance subplots. Yes. Let us move on to our final segment. Clues and Chips! Which is where we like to talk about... uh, what we hope for from the episodes of the show, if we have any ships of our own, and if we have any predictions for the season one finale cliffhanger. I'm thinking season one finale cliffhangers definitely got to be finding Hannah or finding Zach, one of yeah. the two. I could see like another one of the uh, the CSJs like becoming like a rival. Wait, like maybe CSJs? T- uh, Child Soldier Jail kids. I could see another That's one of not, those. No, I, I reject becoming that rival. <laughs> I could see another one of those kids becoming a rival to her. Like, maybe she kind of starts bumping up against some, like, criminal organization type thing. And then the big reveal at the end of season one is that, like, it's Zach or Hannah or something. Well, no, Hannah, Hannah was the lady uh, who helped her. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's like, Zach friends. or one of the other kids. John D. Yeah. Is the other friend. Is, like, running this criminal syndicate or something that she's been fighting. And That would be good. You know, like, why did... Because, like, I mean, we're not really given any reason why, why Max turns out to be like a ostensibly pretty nice person like she's a thief but like she takes care of her friends and like helps yeah, them out she's and stuff. weirdly nice for having such a fucked up childhood yeah whereas like i could see like that whole origin story like literally the same origin story footage was used to have a like bad guy origin story so like <laughs> um yeah i could see hmm. running into another one of those kids who's like running a criminal syndicate or like you know, working as an assassin for, like, some warlord or something. Right. As, like, a foil, like, kind of a Moriarty-type character. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. I'm down with it. I Yeah, I didn't think further than they're probably going to find either Hannah, this woman who helped her, or Zach, the yeah. kid. But, uh... Don't really have any ships other than wanting Cindy to get a somebody. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath. It is still a 2000 TV show, but I have a glimmer of hope for how they will handle Cindy as a lesbian character because... She's just handled like a like a character. She's not handled any particular way in the in the first episode. And just the fact that they cared to have a lesbian character that's not part of the plot that she's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And she is best friend of the main character, but she's at least not the cliche sassy gay white male with a scarf or something. Yeah. There's there's some I did the scarf tossing motion, you guys couldn't see that. It was part. some good space work. It Thank really, you. really works. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I've been working on it. So shall we have our final verdicts? Yeah, uh, what do you think? Did this show do the job of a pilot, i.e., does it make you want to watch more? For me, it's a it's a yes. Also, knowing that there is only two seasons of this, 
Uh, Seems doable. Yeah. However, they are 22 episode seasons. So, mm. but I really, really enjoy the world building of this. I enjoy the character of Max. I think there's a lot of interesting things to explore. I'm not as sold on Logan, but like clearly wheelchair Logan is where the show wants to go with him. Yeah. Which as someone who's like more recently in that position could have a lot of interesting things to explore that he, he was like a recluse by choice before this. And now he has to be like, that yeah. could be interesting. I don't know. It, there, it seems like there could be some interesting interplay, but it's what really comes down to for me is the imagery, like Max under the ice, the kids fighting the soldiers. There's a, there's a few images in this pilot that are like X-Files level. Oh my goodness. Things that they did that really made me want to see if the show keeps that up. If the yeah. show keeps going for these like bizarre, uncomfortable, almost magical realism images. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm 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 pretty sold on watching more. Honestly, I was like, yeah, like I said, I was surprised that this show held up as well as it did. And I have seen a few whispers on the internet about it maybe didn't live up to the promise of the pilot that there meant to be seen. But yeah, there's definitely some things that just judging the pilot, it seems like there could be some good stuff. They didn't play it too heavy-handed with Max and Logan having like kind of a, like a romantic tension. Clearly, it was enough that clearly they're going to keep going there. But it wasn't over the top. And it wasn't ever done in a way where he was sort of, like, dominating or, like, manipulating. Or, I mean, he manipulates her a little bit, but emotionally, like, not physically. And I loved that he isn't even involved in the big hero moment. The whole plan and the big hero rescue at the end. He's in a coma the whole time. He's not even involved. Much less saving her or anything. Like... He's the one who gets her in. He's the one who goes, you have to care, and mm-hmm. drags her into it. But he's absolutely out of the picture for the whole big action shit at the end. And that yeah. was kind of a nice change of pace. These were, there were a lot of things this show did that I did not expect out of a 2000 sci-fi show. Diversity. I mean, the main character, Jessica Alba, is a gorgeous young woman, you know, who is very nice to look at. But she's also half Mexican so yeah. she's not like she, she, hi Pepper that's Pepper telling us we're out of time <laughs> she's not Sarah Michelle Geller, you know as yeah. much as I yeah. love Sarah yeah. Michelle Geller, yeah. she's she was different that there was more diversity in the cast than I was expecting it was as poorly as they handled the Jamaican character but like yeah there's a lot of things like that were better than I expected the the interplay between the two of them there was a little bit of flirting mm-hmm. but it was mostly played as them kind of feeling each other out um, when the episode ends and he's in the wheelchair, he's not flirting with her still. And he's not acting like bitter, like, I guess you don't want me anymore now that I'm trapped in this chair or any of that shit. Yeah. We may get some of that later. Who knows? Um, how they handle having a disabled character on the show remains to be seen. But yes. at least in the pilot, it was all handled surprisingly well. I'm, I'm pretty on board. Dark Angel. It was all handled surprisingly well. This is that's our cl- catchphrase from earlier in the podcast, right? Right. Better than we expected. There you go, folks. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Pilot House. You can find out more about us by heading over to pilothousepodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pilot House Pod, both places. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Pilot House Podcast. We also have a Buy Me a Coffee account. You can donate to that by heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash pilothouse. 
you buy us a couple of copies because, guys, we're stuck here in uh, 2018 dystopian Seattle, and, like, it's rough, guys, you know? It's so We rough. both work as bicycle couriers. We don't make a lot of money. We live in a squat, and we need you to buy us coffees. So, so please yeah, do. Please do. Uh, I, I think that's about it. Yeah, uh, please contact us if you have any ideas about shows you'd like us to talk about. Just we just got a massive list on Twitter from a listener uh, which I'm super stoked about. Did you see that yet? No, I haven't seen oh. that yet. I'm very excited. Someone just recommended like 10, 15 shows yes. they want us to watch. And a lot of them are shows one of I know one of the other of us have watched. Right. But there Season were at least two. a couple of shows in that request list that are already on our to watch list. For example, Party of Five. Heck Might yeah. that be one of our uh, new episodes coming up soon? I think so. You'll have to tune in to find out. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Same bet. I'm sorry. Same dark... Angel time, same, same angel, angel channel. Thank you.